Hi everybody, thank you so much for checking out our podcast. If you'd like to know more about us or connect with us, then please do go to our church website and we would love to get to know you some more. Here's today's message. We hope it blesses you, encourages and inspires you. So Mark chapter 5 verses 21 to 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him, except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the girl was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Praise God for his word to us. 
Well, I wonder who or what you revere the most. I'm guessing that quite a lot of people today will be saying Gareth Southgate and there will be so many hopes and dreams pinned on that man and his team this evening. Or let's not outdo the Wimbledon final. Maybe you revere uh, another kind of athlete and your hopes and dreams are pinned on them winning the Wimbledon final or going to the Tokyo Olympics. Or maybe you revere a particular celebrity or a member of the royal family or a politician and you are wanting to listen to what they say. You really respect them so much that you want to listen and you will act on what they say. I think that's happened quite a lot recently with the chief, chief scientific advisors. We respect their knowledge and we put our trust in them. There's a line from one of my favourite hymns which says, Pride of man and earthly glory, sword and crown betray his trust. In other words, the things that are the people that we look up to show where we place our trust. And this morning we're going to be thinking a lot about how we can revere Jesus and place our trust and our faith in him. And we're going to be doing that through the stories of these two very different characters, Jairus and the woman. And first of all, we're going to be thinking about coming in faith. So Jairus, it sounds obvious, but Jairus, we know his name. He was somebody who was known in that village. He had a status, he had a position as the leader of the local synagogue. And obviously, therefore, he was well respected. He was known, he was respected, he had a position, he had status. We know his name. And yet Jairus risked all of that to go to Jesus because by that point, Jesus was seen as a very suspicious figure indeed. In fact, as early as Mark chapter 3, verse 6, we see that the Pharisees and the Herodians were already plotting against Jesus to kill him. They saw him as a threat to their established religion. They saw him as very suspicious. And even later on in Mark chapter 3, we see that some people suspected Jesus of maybe being possessed by the devil. And even his own family were wondering if he was mad. And sadly, straight after this passage that we read today, in Mark chapter 6, we learn that Jesus went back to his hometown and was completely rejected there. So although he was still gathering large crowds around him, he was seen by the establishment as somebody very suspicious, very threatening, a rebel rouser, rather than a respected religious teacher. So for Jairus to go to Jesus and to fall at his feet, which is a sign of reverence and submission, was risking everything. He was putting his reputation on the line. But he was doing this because he had faith, even in the hardest of circumstances. So Jairus had a daughter, we learn at the end of this passage that the daughter was 12 years old and in Jewish society that means that she was on the brink of adulthood, on the brink of womanhood. And you can just imagine that Jairus and his wife would have spent the last few years uh, trying to work out a good boy from a good Jewish family to marry this girl too. She would have been at marriageable age at age 12. 
and they would have been lining up somebody from a really respectable family to marry her, to bring those two respectable families together. And then they would have had all their hopes and dreams pinned on the future of this uh, girl. She would have produced children. She would have kept Jairus's good name going down through the generations. She would have had a really good place within society and she would have been holding all Jairus's hopes and dreams in her very life. So I can just imagine that as this girl got ill and got sicker and sicker and sicker, you can imagine Jairus's hopes getting squashed little by little by little until he had almost no hope left. And his love for her as well as his hopes and dreams, his love for her compelled him to act. I love the way he addresses her in this statement to Jesus. He says, my little daughter is dying. Well, she, we've just said she's on the brink of womanhood. She's not a little daughter. She's not two or three. But I think any of you who are parents will understand that feeling. You love your child so much, no matter how old they are. They're always your little one. He loves her so much. His love compels him to act. And so he risks everything. He came to Jesus. He fell at Jesus's feet and he came in faith. Let's look at verse 23 together. He said to him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Jairus was absolutely certain that if Jesus, this disrespected, mistrusted, rebellious rebel rouser, would come and place his hands on Jairus's loved and respected daughter, then that daughter would live. What faith is that? And we also discover that that faith continued even through fear, because later on in this story, people from Jairus's house came to say, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? But Jesus said, don't be afraid. Just believe. And I wonder what Jairus thought that Jesus was asking him to believe in. I think it's easy for us to read this with our eyes of hindsight and think, well, yes, Jesus was going to raise the girl to life. Because we've seen that in other Gospels, we see that Jesus did raise people to life during his earthly ministry. And of course, we know that Jesus himself raised himself to life, overcoming death. But at this point in time, Jairus didn't know any of that. This had not happened. Jairus could not possibly have known that Jesus was going to raise his daughter from the dead. It would have been impossible. So what Jairus thought that Jesus was asking him to believe, I don't know. But that he did believe in Jesus, we do know. It wasn't a what, it was a who. I still believe in you. I still have faith in you. And even through my fear, I'm still going to invite you to come to my house because you're telling me to believe. So let's move on to the woman. In contrast, the woman doesn't have a name. In those days, women had little status, no rights whatsoever, little respect. She didn't have a name. No one knew who she was. But she too was risking everything by coming to Jesus because her disease of bleeding made her unclean in the Jewish society. 
So the Jewish law said that if you were bleeding, that you were ritually unclean and that anything that you touched or anyone that you touched would also become unclean. And so this woman would have been separated off from people. She wouldn't have been able to go to church people, to go to the synagogue to worship, to go to the marketplace even, because she would be making everything that she touched unclean. She was cut off from society. So to go to Jesus was really risking everything. It was a really brave act. But again, like Jairus, she risked it because she had faith in the hardest of circumstances. And I look at this woman's circumstances and I think, how was she still going? She was at the end of her physical, financial and emotional resources. I have had a hemorrhage. I had it a week after my eldest son was born. Apparently it's a a fairly known thing. It's called a seven day postpartum hemorrhage. Um, And I was bleeding uncontrollably for several hours, fainted, got taken into hospital. And for some reason, known only to themselves, the hospital decided not to replace the blood that I had lost. But they told me to go home and drink Guinness and eat dark chocolate. Uh, But for the next two weeks, I really did not feel human. And particularly for that first week, I I was so weak that I could barely lift this six pound baby to my chest. I could barely sort of stand up and walk across to the other side of the room. That loss of blood had made me so weak. And I just think that if that's what one evening of a hemorrhage does to somebody, what does 12 years of consistently having these kinds of hemorrhages, one after the other after the other, what does that do to you? I'm imagining that this woman was basically bed bound. She wouldn't have had the energy to do anything. And also she was financially at the end of her resources. It looks as if she may have had a fair amount of money at the beginning of this period. But we're told that she had put her hopes into all these different doctors and all these different cures. And she had put all her money into all these different doctors and all these different cures over the years. And to no avail, in fact, she'd got worse rather than better. And so she had spent all she had. She was at the end of her physical resources. And so surely she must have been at the end of her emotional resources as well. Just imagine all those years of trying and trying and trying and trying, putting all your hopes in these things again and again and again and again. And just like Jairus, watching those hopes get squashed bit by bit by bit by bit. She would have been at the end of all her resources. But she risked everything to go to Jesus because she had faith. So look with me at verse 28. She thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. What kind of faith must she have had after all these years of trying all these different cures? What kind of faith must she have had to say, I will be healed if I just touch his clothes? It's incredible faith. And like Jairus, she continued in that faith through her fear. Because when she was healed, when she touched him, Jesus wanted to make this knowledge public. And so he turned around and said, 
who touched me? And you can just imagine this woman in the middle of this crowd knowing that if anybody had touched her or she touched anybody, she would have made them unclean. I just wonder what it would be like if you were in the middle of a football crowd and the person next to you suddenly said, I've tested positive for COVID-19. How would you respond? In fear and anger? And I just, no wonder this woman was trembling in fear as she came forward and fell at Jesus' feet and told him the whole truth. How on earth were this crowd going to react to her? And yet she still had the faith to come, to fall at Jesus' feet and to tell him the whole truth. So amazing faith seen by two people in two very different circumstances and their faith was rewarded. So Jesus heals, restores and brings new life. Firstly, let's look at the woman. She was healed with the touch. She reached out, she touched his clothes. Immediately she was freed from her suffering. Hallelujah. But there was more than that. She was restored. Her healing brought restoration. Because the bleeding stopped, she was made clean. And it's interesting that rather than making Jesus unclean by her touch, his cleanness, his purity gave her purity, gave her the cleanness that she needed and restored her to that full place in society again. She would no longer have to be cut off from society, no longer separated. She'd be able to go to the synagogue to worship. She was restored. But people needed to know that she was restored and the faith that she had to make that public confession before Jesus was rewarded by Jesus's public assurance that, yes, you are healed, you are restored. And in a sense, therefore, this woman was given a new life. She was restored, not just to society, but also to her own womanhood. We don't know how old this woman was. As she could have still been well within childbearing age. So she could have gone on to marry and to have children and to carry the hopes and the dreams of people into the next generation. So she was healed, she was restored and she was given a new full life. And all of this was done with such tenderness and compassion. Look at verse 34 with me. Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be healed from your suffering. Such compassionate assurance from Jesus. So secondly, Jairus's daughter, she too was healed with a touch. Jesus took her by the hand. He reached out, he touched her. And that was also a restoration because, with, again, within Jewish law, a dead body was considered unclean. And really, he should not have touched her because he would have been made unclean. But again, rather than the dead body making Jesus unclean, his cleanliness, his purity made this girl clean, made this girl whole. And his life brought new life into this dead body. And he took her by the hand and he raised her up to new life. So she was healed 
she was given new life, a new physical body. Her body was dead. She came to life again. And she too was restored. She was restored into society, no longer cut off because she wasn't dead, but also restored into her family, restored back into that position of all of the hopes and dreams being pinned on her and that position in society of carrying the respected line on through the generations. So Jesus healed, restored and brought new life. And again, it was done with such tenderness and compassion. Verse 41, he said to her, Talitha kum. And I just love these few places we've got in the Gospels where Jesus' actual Aramaic words are used because it's as if the person who wrote it says, this moment is so powerful. This moment is so loving. I can't just translate what Jesus said. I have to use the words that Jesus actually said because this moment was a moment that we need to treasure as it was. Such powerful, such a loving moment. Talitha kum. This statement of great tenderness and compassion. Little girl, get up, arise. Arise to your new life, to your new way of life, to your future. Hope and a future. Such tenderness and compassion. So what does all this have to say to us? Well, first of all, of course, we just have to stand in awe and say Jesus heals, restores and brings new life. And today, now, Jesus heals, restores and brings new life. And the first thing to say is that he does heal miraculously in the ways that we've seen in this story. There are many accounts of that in this country and around the world of this kind of miraculous healing happening. But we also have to say that we know that that doesn't always happen. And I know there's a lot of pain and hardship in the fact that it doesn't always happen and that we sometimes can pray earnestly for our loved ones and they're not healed in the way that we would want them to be healed. And we don't know why that is. There's just a few things that I want to say that might help. So sometimes he does heal through the health service. You know, Jesus has given us the wisdom and the ability to create uh, these medicines and hospitals and the training and the skills of the professionals who work there. And in just the same way that Jesus used tools in his earthly ministry, like mud and clay and spit, to heal people. So I believe he uses the tools of the health service to heal people today. Sometimes Jesus heals slowly, bit by bit. Sometimes you can look at somebody's life at this point in time and then look back to a point in time, say five years ago, and you can see the amount of healing that has actually happened in that five year period. I've witnessed it many times that you can see Jesus's healing bit by bit by bit by bit. It's the most appropriate way to do it in some cases. And just as in his earthly ministry, where do you remember when the blind man didn't manage to see everything straight away and Jesus healed him bit by bit? So I believe he does so today. And sometimes he chooses not to heal the physical problem, but will instead heal spiritually, emotionally or mentally instead. 
And I've known many people who've had physical disabilities or physical illnesses who are such whole and well people because of their spiritual, emotional and mental health that actually the physical problem isn't a problem at all. So Jesus knows, just as he knew with the paralytic man, that his sins needed to be healed above and beyond all else, and the physical healing came second. So I believe that sometimes he heals in that way today. Those are just some ideas. It's a really difficult issue, but those are just some ideas to be thinking on. But, of course, the deeper need in all of us is spiritual healing. In the Bible, the word heal also means save. And we know that Jesus came to save us from our sin. The disease of sin makes each one of us unclean. It separates us from God and from each other. And because we are unholy and impure, we are unable to come before God, who is pure and perfect, holy, holy, holy God. And we are isolated and cut off from him. But Jesus heals us, saves us from the disease of sin. Just as he healed the women and Jairus' daughter, making them clean by his purity, restoring them society and bringing them new life, so he does with us. Ultimately, Jesus demonstrated his power to heal, to save, to restore and to bring new life by dying on the cross and three days later arising to life again. He didn't need someone else to heal him and bring him back to life because he is immortal God and it was impossible for death to hold him. Through his death, through his becoming impure and unclean, out of that tender, compassionate love for us, he made us pure, cleansing us from our sin. And through his resurrection, through his destroying of the power of sin and death, out of that tender, compassionate love for us, he gave us his new life, new everlasting life with him. He restored us by making us able not just to stand in society, but in full relationship with God himself. He didn't just make it possible for us to come to the synagogue to worship. He makes us the place where he lives. We are healed, we are saved from our sins, we are restored to the full relationship with God which he intended from the beginning of time and we are brought into new and everlasting life with him. So when we come to Jesus in faith, falling at his feet in reverence and submission, confessing our sin, he gives us the power to become children of God. And God our Father looks at each one of us and says with great tenderness, Daughter, son, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And at the end of time, he will say, Little one, I say to you, arise. So like Jairus, like the woman, let us come in faith, even in the hardest of circumstances. I believe that Jairus and the woman were able to come in faith because they were able to see 
who Jesus was. They were able to revere him as holy, as God, as all powerful and all loving. Even though Jesus' reputation was so bad, they saw, they heard what he had done and they knew that he had the power to heal, to restore and to bring new life. And in that faith in him, through revering him, they were able to come in faith, put their trust in him, put their faith in him and receive that healing, that restoration and that new life. I wonder what your position is today. Maybe you too are battling some really hard circumstances. Maybe you too are feeling like your hope has been squashed bit by bit by bit. Maybe you uh, are revering and placing your trust in something else which is fallible and at the end of the day will let you down. We need to come believing that he loves us, that he's listening to us and that he does have the power to heal and to save and to restore and to bring new life. And as we come in faith, he will reward that faith. He won't always heal in the way that we want him to heal. He won't always do things in the way that we think he should. But he will always heal and restore and bring new life. And at the end of the day, when all is said and done, there will be no more pain, no more suffering. We will see him face to face. We will hear him saying, arise. In the hardest of circumstances, look to Jesus. See him for who he is. See his power and his love. He wants to listen to your prayer. So come before him in prayer, speaking to him, telling him the whole truth. And come before him by reading the Bible so that you can be grounded in just who he is. This morning is my last sermon as community minister and training with you. And I wasn't quite sure how to end. But actually, what better way to end than just simply saying this. Come to Jesus. Come in faith. Come risking everything, falling at his feet in reverence and submission to him. Come when you are fearful. Come when you are beyond your last shred of hope. And come in faith in the power of Jesus to heal, to restore and to bring new life. Continue in faith even when you are fearful and tested to your limits. And as you come, hear his tender, compassionate voice of love saying to you, daughter, son, your faith has saved you. Little one, arise. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we have seen again this morning who you are and we want to come just as we are and we want to fall at your feet 
in reverence and submission to you and in faith that you have the power to heal, to save, to restore and to bring new life. In the silence now, each one of us will bring to him the whole truth of what we want to say to him. And now hear his tender, compassionate voice saying to you, daughter, son, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen.